The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, it's Wednesday the 13th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, BP's CEO Bernard Looney quits over failing to fully disclose past relationships with colleagues. Apple unveils its latest handsets but increases the price of its top-end model. And we take a closer look at why a deepening rift between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates will make it harder to end eight years of war in one of the world's poorest countries. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. BP CEO Bernard Looney has resigned over failing to fully disclose past relationships with colleagues. Looney's exit leaves the oil and gas giant leaderless as the company pushes ahead with a costly transition to low-carbon energy. Bloomberg's managing editor for Energy and Commodities, Simon Casey, says the decision is part of a wider trend at corporations. You'll see CEOs, uh, big corporate bosses, failing to be honest with their board. Fundamentally, that's what this is partly about. It's got a lot tougher in recent years. Boards feel much more empowered to enforce these rules and to hold even the CEO to account. Simon Casey says while BP hasn't named a long-term successor, it typically picks CEOs from among the ranks of its own top executives. The European Central Bank expects inflation in the bloc to remain above 3% next year. That's according to a report from Reuters. That's seen as bolstering the case for a rate rise at tomorrow's meeting. Elsewhere, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen is set to give her annual State of the European Union speech later. Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo has a preview. The head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, is set to unveil her State of the Union speech at the European Parliament in Strasbourg later today. This is the big political speech of La Rentrée. It signals we're back from the summer break, the European Parliament is officially back in session, and it outlines the policy priorities of the European Commission. In theory, this could be the final one from Ursula von der Leyen as her term will be over next year when the European elections are due across the bloc. Having said that, there is widespread speculation in Brussels that she will aim to get a second term. Now, when it comes to the content, not a lot has leaked, but we should expect multiple references to Ukraine and bringing Ukraine closer to the European Union. In Brussels, Maria Tadeo, Bloomberg Radio. Apple has launched a range of upgraded iPhones and raised the price of their top-end handset by almost 10%. The new models, which include a USB-C connector, represent the first significant iPhone overhaul since the 5G phones came out three years ago. Apple CEO Tim Cook says it's all about making steady improvements to the product. Since the very first iPhone, we focused on giving our users a device that's incredibly powerful, remarkably easy to use, and beautifully designed. Every year, we've built on this foundation to create experiences that make a real difference in our users' daily lives. Today, 
We're pushing what users love about iPhone even further. Tim Cook's latest product launch comes as the Apple CEO is looking to pull out of a sales slump and fears of a consumer backlash in China. Storms and flooding in eastern Libya are thought to have claimed more than 2,300 lives, with thousands more missing. A search for survivors is underway after a Mediterranean storm hit the city of Derna, with dams collapsing, triggering floods. High water levels, but also tumultuous politics, are hindering rescue efforts. Rami El Shahabi from the World Health Organization in Libya says it's a disaster zone. The situation is uh, more disastrous than we expected, and uh, the the numbers are keep piling up. So those who have not been reported as found are considered very likely to be dead or under the rubbles of those uh, buildings that collapsed after the floods. Meanwhile, the Red Cross says that more than 10,000 people are still missing after the massive floods. Double Line Capital CEO Jeffrey Gundlach has fired back at retired Bond King Bill Gross, saying he hopes he feels better about himself. The ongoing feud in the world of finance returned after Gross criticised Gundlach, saying he wasn't anywhere near being crowned a Bond King. To be a Bond King or Queen, you need a kingdom. You need a kingdom. Okay, Pimco had $2 trillion. Okay, Double Line's got like $55 billion. That's no kingdom. That's like Latvia or, or Estonia. Then look at his record for the last five, six, seven years. How does 60th percentile smack of a Bond King? It doesn't. That was Bill Gross there speaking to Bloomberg's Odd Lots podcast. In response, Gundlach says, quote, it's sad for somebody who's been out of the business for 10 years and is still trying to exercise the demons. I hope he's doing fine. Barclays CEO CS Van Katakrishnan sees a deal-making revival on the way. The UK bank boss says that prices are reaching acceptable levels and investors have plenty to spend. The outlook, though, contrasts with news elsewhere in the sector. So Deutsche Bank says that it's decommissioned 60% of the underlying applications that the firm uses to run its fixed income trading business as it tries to rein in costs. The German lender has been struggling to contain expenses in recent quarters as it wrestles with inflation, a botched IT overhaul and also uh, an ongoing processes issue. And China's biggest cities have been home to one of the world's greatest economic success stories, but that trend now appears to be coming to a halt. According to data compiled by Bloomberg, starting salaries are falling in finance and technology by as much as 40%. Downward spiral leaves workers cutting back further on spending as Beijing tries to restore confidence in the economy. Another story that caught my eye this morning is an interesting one when we think about the challenges facing particularly European countries and their ageing demographics. We talk about it a lot, particularly Mm. the conversations we're having about the pensions triple lock at the moment and how much that's going to cost the government. But um, a study by the chief forecaster at the UK's Office for Budget Responsibility actually says that shrinking populations could be good for people in the world's richest country, uh, country saying that the economic impacts are likely on balance to be positive and predictions of dire effects are implausible. Yeah, this is David Miles. Um, you know, he's a well-known voice in the UK. I think it's absolutely fascinating because of the pressure that countries like Germany, Italy and increasingly the UK are under, but also further afield places like Japan. We're hearing increasingly um, policies around demographics, around population and 
and it's less about immigration than it is about birds. I think the issue, though, with what David Miles is saying, um, it's the punitive childcare costs, the expense of raising children, actually, that is the counterbalance to this. The reason that people might be better off is that it's just so expensive to have children, which I'm not sure is a particularly positive message, frankly. One of the things I took away from this is the paper was published in the Journal of the Economics of Ageing, which I don't Mm. have a subscription to, but I'm now sorely tempted to take out. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. One of the stories on uh, the terminal that uh, caught our attention when it comes to UK news. Right. Should we have a think about Apple unveiling its four new iPhone models and a $100 price increase for the top of the range, 15 Pro Max. It comes as the company's trying to pull out of a sales slump in the Chinese market. For more, let's speak to our chief correspondent, Mark Gurman. Good morning, Mark. First of all, on the products themselves, how significant actually was this upgrade to the iPhone in the end? Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here uh, on our UK programming. Uh, The iPhone update was quite significant if you're coming from a model, let's say an iPhone 13 or an iPhone 12 or earlier. I think the iPhone 15 Pro brings over some very significant improvements. Uh, I think, you know, from a consumer perspective, what you can see is new is new, and that's what sells, right? Other than the upgrades that you know, bring faster processors, the visual upgrades are really significant. And so I think the new titanium construction, along with uh, the new color options you have for these iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Maxes, is going to drive a lot of sales. Uh, Overall, if you, you know, compare the whole package to this iPhone 14 to iPhone 15, compared to maybe some upgrades in the past, maybe to the iPhone 12 or maybe to the iPhone 10, it's not as significant, but I still think they needed to, they did what they needed to do to have a successful holiday quarter. Look, all of this is coming with the backdrop of a slowing smartphone market. Mark, you've been at the forefront of so many big stories around Apple that Bloomberg has broken. How is the company coping with its strategy to try and boost growth at a time that, you know, the overall market doesn't look so good? You know, it's interesting. They're not trying to push, you know, unit sale increases. If they were, they'd be cutting prices. But instead, they're doing is they're trying to find new ways to generate additional revenue. You've seen a few levers that they pulled today. Uh, In some countries, the iPhone 15 Pro is quite a bit more expensive than it is in uh, than the iPhone 14 Pro was. There's new iCloud storage tiers, which could help some services revenue. The the tiers now go up to $60 US per month. Uh, The previous tier capped at $10 per month for a two terabyte package. Now it goes up to 12 terabytes, which is more storage than probably anybody needs for two and a half lifetimes. Uh, And they're also going to be making some new revenue on some of these USB-C accessories. But one point I wanna make, because I know we have a UK audience here, is that the UK is unique today for a very key reason. There was actually no price increase in the UK. In fact, the new iPhones are cheaper in the UK than they were previously, uh, coming down by about a hundred all uh, coming down by about a hundred pounds, uh, which corresponds to about one hundred and twenty-eight dollars US. So, if you're in the UK, you might be getting a better deal than you did last year. Ooh, okay, music to people's ears, I imagine, if they are fans. Um, How serious, though, I mean, looking sort of country by country, are the troubles in China then? There are all these fears around a government backlash, but then also a potential consumer backlash against Apple. You know, I personally think that Apple is going to be okay in China. Um, 
Mm-hmm. My concern for them is a sense of nationalism. Uh, the new Huawei phone is having a very strong reception in China. But I think the, the titanium casing, the premium feel of these new phones is going to do well in China. One thing Apple did not do this time around was release a red iPhone or a gold iPhone. Those are two incredibly popular colors in China. I think if you see iPhone sales a bit sluggish in China, that's going to be one contributing factor. And Apple may roll around and try to put out a red or gold phone in the spring, uh, maybe in the March-April timeframe next year. Uh, but at this point, I'm not anticipating you know a big dip in China at least uh, this quarter. I think this is an issue that might uh, perpetuate in the coming quarter, so that's something we're keeping an eye on. But it's quite honestly impossible to know until we see uh, sales. I mean, clearly the initial noise on the ground there is not coming in the positive direction, uh, but this does not seem anywhere near as dire as it did four years ago when a huge nationalism push uh, really inspired people in China to not buy iPhones and other products and, and the numbers they did previously. Mark, great to have you on the program. You're welcome anytime. That's Mark Gerwin, our chief correspondent there, bringing us uh, the latest on those product launches from Apple. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now I want to turn to a big story in the Middle East. So after coming together in 2015 to wage war against the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are now immersed in a power struggle through local proxy forces. Now, this threatens to undermine US and international efforts to try to bring peace to a country that has been racked by conflict and poverty. Bloomberg Saudi Arabia reporter Sam Dagger joins us now for more. Sam, very good to have you on the programme. Good morning. And for your reporting. What is going on in Yemen at the moment? I thought that actually the fighting had been reduced somewhat. Thank you. Yes, good morning and and great to be with you. Um, Yes, I mean, there's been a fragile truce since uh, April 2022. But uh, what's going on at the moment is the Saudis, uh, particularly Saudi Arabia, is trying to uh, have a ceasefire agreement between uh, the Yemeni factions, and and in order to to achieve that, it is negotiating directly with uh, the Iran-backed Houthis, right? And uh, and it's trying. Saudi Arabia is trying to cast itself as a mediator, but of, of course, it's it's an it's a it's a part of this war. I mean, it waged war on Yemen in 2015, but uh, and and uh, the Houthis are saying to Saudi Arabia, uh, we need. Uh, uh, we need you to pay war reparations. You're not a mediator. You're, you're a party to this conflict. And we also need a share of the oil and gas uh, uh, resources of the country. And they're even threatening to target Saudi Arabia again. I mean, as uh, as recently as, as Sunday. And then you have Yemeni factions that are backed by the United Arab Emirates that are saying, we are being kept in the dark in all of this. You're not telling us 
Saudi Arabia, what you're doing, what you know, how you're negotiating with the Houthis, and we feel that you're going to make too many concessions to them, and they're going to emerge stronger out of this. What are then the interests of Saudi Arabia and the UAE in Yemen? A great question. I mean, uh, Saudi Arabia is primarily interested in, uh, you know, extricating itself from a disastrous war. I mean, this is a war that it uh, started uh, in, uh, uh, you know, in concert with with its allies, and the U- U.S. Uh, supported this effort. And uh, but but you know, a campaign of airstrikes and economic blockade, you know, uh, failed to um, dislodge the Houthis, who now control uh, the northern part of Yemen, including the capital Sanaa. And the war started also to impact Saudi Arabia itself. I mean, hundreds of of drones and missiles were fired by the Houthis at uh, vital uh, oil and security installations inside of Saudi Arabia. So it really wants to end the war, bring it bring it to an end at any cost, and focus on its vision 2030, you know, mm. for, for economic transformation. Yeah. And, uh, and it also wants to keep Yemen intact. It shares a long border with Yemen. And the UAE, on the other hand, has a different agenda. It feels like it, it uh, really expended uh, blood and treasure in Yemen, and it wants to have, uh, uh, you know, maintain control over the coast of Yemen, uh, which has some very key ports like Aden and Al-Mukalla, and um, and that's key to the U- UAE's ambition to, to bolster its position as a, a trade and maritime power in the region. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.